The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This is one of the great stories of the Bible, and I, I feel privileged to bring it to you today. We already know it, so what can I bring to this story that you haven't thought about? So we're going to look at this story in three levels today. We're going to look at the strategic deployment of the Israelites and the Philistines, the fight between David and Goliath, and the spiritual dimension. I have to warn you right now, I'm a map nerd. Now, Jonathan would just eliminate the word map and leave it at nerd. Give me a battle. I'm going to figure out where everyone was. And as I prepared this message, I thought about why that is. It's real easy to skip over the names and places as if they are meaningless. But God wrote them down in his word, so maybe we should pay attention. When we examine something like this, it isn't just names in a book and dots on a map. What do I mean by that? There's Clarence Langworth, born 1887. He fought in the Great War, trench warfare in France, He was a mustard gas casualty, and the effects of that lasted for the rest of his life. There's Private Raymond along the Moselle River. He served in the Nout, and they liberated that part of France. Private Raymond Walsh is Kathy's uncle. He's buried in the American military cemetery at Saint-Avold, France. My father's family were bombed by the IRF and the Luftwaffe in Tobruk. And they fled east to Egypt, west, east Egypt, where dad worked for the British Army on the Suez Canal for the rest of the war. And there was a neighbor up the street. I only knew him as Mr. Johnson. He came back from Vietnam in a flag draped casket. As a boy growing up, I learned about a country called South Vietnam on the other side of the world, places like Saigon and Da Nang. One guy I knew called it Rocket City, Hue, Cameron Bay. Tansanut Air Base. Times and places like this weren't just names in a book or dots in a map. I grew up seeing and hearing about this on the evening news. That's when we had three channels and no remote. I titled this message Tango Mike Mike because it fits so well. You see, the story of David... And the story of Sergeant Benavides, our parallel in status. Oh, and who is Sergeant Benavides? He's the hero that leaps to mind when you mention to a special forces soldier, Tango Mike Mike. Neither David or Sergeant Benavides woke up that morning and thought it would go the way it did. David was a shepherd, and Sergeant Benavides was a radio operator. Both faced enormous, terrible, and overwhelming odds. Both are remembered for valor and gallantry. And if you mention Tango Mike Mike, they know exactly what you're talking about. See, Tango Mike Mike means the day is really going sideways, and you need a warrior like Sergeant Benavides. Or you're an Israelite in the Valley of Elah, And you need a warrior shepherd like David. 
So before we dive into David and Goliath, I'm going to start telling you the story of Sergeant Benavides and what happened to him on that day. On the morning of May 2nd, 1968, a 12-man Special Forces reconnaissance team was inserted by helicopter in the dense jungle area west of Lac Ninh, Vietnam, to gather information and confirm of a large-scale enemy activity. This area was controlled and routinely patrolled by the North Vietnamese Army. And after a short period of time on the ground, the team met heavy resistance and requested emergency evacuation. Three helicopters attempted extraction but were unable to land due to heavy enemy fire. Sergeant Benavides was at the forward operating base in Lac Ninh, monitoring the operation by radio when these helicopters returned to offload the wounded and to assess aircraft damage. Sergeant Benavides voluntarily boarded a returning aircraft to assist in another extraction attempt, realizing that all the team leaders were either dead or wounded and unable to move to the pickup zone. And he had directed the aircraft to a nearby clearing where he jumped from the hovering helicopter and ran approximately 75 meters under withering small arms fire to the crippled team. And prior to reaching the team's position, he was wounded in the right leg, face, and head. Names and places. Sergeant Benavides and a patch of jungle called Loch Ninh. Dots on a map, names in a book. Sergeant Benavides never expected to end up in Loch Ninh that day, nor did he expect to be wounded, but more on this later. There are three parts to this message, the strategic situation, the fight, and the spiritual dimension. So what's the strategic situation? The Philistines. Who are they? And why are there such strife between Israel and Philistine? We know they were a problem since the time of Judges, specifically Samson, and he killed a lot of them. And maybe we're going to get a slide. And here's what we can reasonably say about the Philistines. They started out in Cyprus. Maybe we're not going to get a slide. And migrated to the coastal plain of modern-day Israel. <clears throat> There were five major cities, Gaza, Ascalon, Ashdod, Ekron, Goth. And that all is on the coastal plain of modern Israel. They were iron workers, and there were a lot of them. 1 Samuel 13.5 tells us, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel. There were 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They had chariots, and they operated on the coastal plain. And when they met infantry, chariots versus infantry, it was a one-sided affair. And we've heard of these cities before. In 1 Samuel 5, the Philistine rulers, after they had taken the ark from the Israelites, moved the ark from Ashdod to Ekron to Gath. And they took it to the heart of their empire and started moving it away. In 1 Samuel 6, 4, we see that the Philistines asked, what kind of guilt offering should we send him? They replied, five tumors and five gold rats according to the number of Philistine rulers. Again, those five cities were where the five Philistine rulers lived. Because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. So here we are. We come to 1 Samuel 17. 
And right off the bat, what do we see? Now the Philistines had gathered their forces, and there's a lot of them. And they had gathered their forces for war, and they had assembled at Soko in Judah. And they pitched a camp at Ephes Danon between Sakahan, Azekah, and Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between. We have some more names and places here. And it's important to understand the strategic situation here. Otherwise, there's no reason for Goliath and David to fight. So maybe we'll get another slide here. This map shows the disposition of the armies. The Philistines are here. The Israelites are here. They're on two hills. And there's this creek bed. We believe it was dry at the time. And in between is the Valley of Elah. There are trees and rocks and gullies and ruts and a bunch of ticked off Jews on one side. There's a ton of Philistines on the other. And they're on two hills. And the killing ground is at the bottom. So who's going to be the first one to rush down the hill and then run up the hill to the other guy? Any volunteers? Huh? It doesn't sound like a real good idea. This is akin to Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg. Pickett's Charge took place on July 3rd, 1863. Think about this now. 15,000 Confederate troops charged 6,000 Union troops dug in on Cemetery Ridge. They ran across three quarters of a mile of open field. If you've been to Gettysburg, you know this is flat. And they ran into cannon fire. And they never made it to Cemetery Ridge. The charge was broken, and the Confederates suffered 6,000 casualties from that one charge. This is the same kind of killing ground here. It's an impasse. The strategic situation is nobody wants to go and fight, run down the hill and run back up the hill and get killed. So they're just sitting there, standing there. We need to understand why they are here. I've got one more photo. Yeah. One more where Saul was. You can see um, where the Philistine camp was, and you can kind of see the, um, the creek bed and now the road that they fled down at the end of the chapter to run back to um, Ekron and Gath and all those places. So why are they here? Was this God's plan that they should be on these two hilltops? having a Mexican standoff. Now, I know we hadn't discovered Mexico yet till this in a band Mexican standoff. Or was it Saul's willfulness in advance of God's plan that brought him here? We need to rewind to uh, 1 Samuel 13 and 14. Israel was at war with the Philistines. Saul had assembled the army at Gilgal in 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 7. He was supposed to wait for Samuel to arrive, but Samuel was delayed, and his army began to walk away. So Saul takes the sacrifice for the Lord into his own hands. Big, big mistake. Historical changing 
mistake. And Samuel says as much when he gets there. This is what, what happened. He said, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, we read, He, meaning Saul, waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't get come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to uh, scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered the burnt offering. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. Samuel looks around and goes, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me in Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel's reply to this, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, now listen very carefully to this. If Saul had listened to the Lord and obeyed him, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. We know that didn't happen. It was David's kingdom that was established, not Saul's. But now your kingdom will not endure the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and anointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And we, Randy did a great job last week talking about the anointing of David. So what is Saul saying here? He's saying to Samuel, you're late. <clears throat> I had to do something. Doesn't that sound familiar? The implication of this is it is, and the consequences are staggering. His kingdom will not be established forever. It's gone. His kingdom will be handed over to someone else. See, the Lord doesn't need a great big army to do anything. We have another example of this in Judges 6 and 7, where Gideon's army was whittled down to 300 guys who drank water like a dog from cupped hands and with those 300 guys, they defeated the Midianites. I'll just read briefly from Judges 7.7. 7. He says, The Lord said to Gideon, With 300 men that, I, that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Saul's decision leads directly to this confrontation in the Valley of Elah. Because had Saul waited on the Lord, then the Philistines would have been conquered earlier and this fight would never have taken place. But the whole of history changed because Saul did not wait on the Lord. Think about that the next time you want to blunder on. The entire strategic mess could have been avoided had Saul waited on the Lord. But Saul wanted this to be his victory, not the Lord's victory. And this is very important. Saul was thinking of himself. He was looking inwards, not outwards. And as we will see as we work through the passage, David was not thinking of himself. Neither was Sergeant Benavides. Their focus was not inward like Saul's. It was outward. 
and we come to the fight. Now, I probably understand fighting better than anyone else here. I did more than 20 years full contact martial arts sparring. And there really are only two rules. Don't get hit. Seems kind of obvious. Hit the other guy. Contact sports, you know, both have arms about yay long. It gets a little tricky. Now, before we get to David and Goliath, let's check back with Sergeant Benavides and see how things are going. Remember, he had just run 75 meters and got shot up. Despite these painful injuries, he took charge, repositioning team members and directing their fire to facilitate the landing of an extraction aircraft and the loading of the wounded and the dead team members. He then threw smoke canisters to direct the aircraft to the team's position. And despite severe wounds and under intense enemy fire, he carried and dragged half the wounded team members to the waiting aircraft. And then he provided protective fire by running alongside the aircraft. You know, he's shot up and he's run along beside this helicopter. As it moved to pick up the remaining team members, and as the enemy's fire intensified, he hurried to recover the body and classified documents of the dead team leader, and then he reached the leader's body. Sarbinus was severely wounded by small arms, arms fire in the abdomen and grenade fragments in his back. At nearly the same moment, the aircraft pilot was mortally wounded and the helicopter crashed. It's not looking too good for those guys at Loch Ninn. Sergeant Benavides has multiple wounds. He's been gut shot. He suffered further injury from grenade explosions. Most people would have given up and died, unless your focus is outward. Then maybe you find what it takes to keep going. In the Valley of Elah, it wasn't looking good for the army of the living God. Here's Goliath. Oh, just think about this guy. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath who was from Goth. Remember the five cities of the Philistines? He comes from one of them. Came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Well, that translates into nine feet and nine inches tall. This is a big dude. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's approximately 125 pounds. So you got this guy, nine, almost 10 feet tall, and he's got 125 pounds of armor on. And on his legs were bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back, and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. That is a rod about two to two and a half inches long, uh, wide, I mean, diameter-wise. And the iron point of the spear was 600 shekels. That's another 15 pounds. And then he had a shield bearer. This is a guy with a shield that goes in front of him. You might call him the big ugly. As an aside on fighting, personally, I never cared for people who could kick high. But once I got past their kicking leg, <laughs> then it was a whole different story. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. 
Why do you come up and line out for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. Why? Then the Philistine said, this day, and this is very important, this day I defy the armies of Israel. He's not just mocking Saul's army here. He is defying the army of the living God. Think about that. Give me a man and let us fight. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 18. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. That's 80 times he did this. And whenever the Israelites saw this man, they all fled in great fear. Tango Mike Mike. See, Israel needs a champion. And it isn't Saul, the guy who led them to this mess. It is David, the little shepherd kid who isn't full grown. He's going to take down this monster. However, there's something special here. David is a warrior shepherd. You need to watch out for these guys. Last week, we saw David anointed by Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. This is the man who is Saul's replacement, described in 1 Samuel 13, 14. The Lord sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because he, because you, meaning Saul, have not kept the Lord's commandment. And what of, what of Goliath? He is taunting Israel. He is defying the living God. And he just invoked the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. God promised Abraham the following. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you. I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Goliath and the entire Philistine nation are in big trouble because they have cursed God's chosen people. And what of David? So, what do we see David doing here? He's been anointed by Samuel. He's still taking care of sheep. He's running food up to the Israelite camp where his oldest brothers are cowering with Saul. He's the Lord's anointed and he's hauling bread. And one day he gets there and he hears Goliath's taunt. And it's very important to view David's comments and actions in the light that he is the Lord's anointed. He's not just some little shepherd kid bringing bread to the battlefront. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's the Lord's anointed? Well, in this context, even though God's spirit has departed from Saul at this point in time, 
in David's mind, and as we see historically, Saul and David are set apart because they are the Lord's anointed. This doesn't mean they get a free pass. But they, David is now infused with the Holy Spirit, and Saul was infused with the Holy Spirit. And David has such reverence for the Lord's anointed that he will not physically harm Saul. I'm going to jump ahead here to 1 Samuel 26, 7. And the, the scene here is that David and Abishai have snuck into Saul, stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and his soldiers were lying around him. And Abishai said to David, Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David refused to harm Saul, even though he was in Saul's hand. That doesn't mean that the Lord's anointed are immune from being rebuked. Because later on in that same chapter, in verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? And David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done, and what, have, and what wrong am I guilty of? In the beginning of 2 Samuel, after Saul has died, the Amalekite who did it comes to David. And David asked the Amalekite, in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 1, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And then David called to one of his men and said, go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David said to him, your blood be on your own head, for your mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. And David himself is not immune from rebuke. Nathan the prophet confronts him over his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah in 2 Samuel 12:7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, and I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the Lord of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David is not immune from, remote, from rebuke, but he is the Lord's anointed. Keep that in mind. The point here is the Lord's anointed are special. The Holy Spirit indwells them. And in the New Testament, they are purchased at the price of, and he is indestructible until the Lord calls him or her home. So back to David. He's seeing Goliath taunt the armies of the living God, and he asks the reasonable question. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And the key question, the key question, the heart of this entire passage, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
This isn't a spur-of-the-moment comment. This is the Lord's anointed speaking truth. This is the question Saul should have asked. But instead, he's cowering in the face of this bully. A couple of things we should note here. David isn't even in the army. His brothers are in the army. David's job is to watch the sheep up in the hills somewhere. And yet, David's oldest brother confronts him. He knows what happened with Samuel. He was there. He was passed over and rejected in favor of his younger brother, and he's angry and he vents his anger. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David is accused of being childish, slackered, conceited, and he's guilty of none of this. But it's a tough time for the Lord's anointed. And this brings David to the attention of Saul. And this dialogue between Saul and David is highly informative. It is clear the spirit indwells David. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine that is defying the armies of the living God. Your servant will go and fight him. I hear God speaking through David in this section. And Saul replied, <laughs> you can almost hear him laughing. You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he's been a warrior from youth. And here we get to the practical assessment. You know, David's probably this tall, and Goliath, you know, almost 10 feet. David is outmatched on paper. That's why we do things for real, because stuff doesn't always go the way it looks on paper. And here's the key point in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Now that's exactly what David's going to do to Goliath. This is the Lord's battle. Remember that. This is the Lord's battle, not David's and not Saul's. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because, because, why? He has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. This is exactly why Goliath will lose. He has cursed the armies of the living God. And we belong to a jealous God. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Because Saul had wanted no part of this fight. Which brings us to the spiritual dimension. Now before we go on here, we got to look at the little cartoon bubble above my head. See, picture David up there in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. 
and they're wandering around everywhere. Muzzles are down, they're eating the clover, and he's got this slingshot. And he's a boy, and he's bored. And he's got, on this little ledge over here, Pepsi and Coke cans. Now, I know there weren't Pepsi and Coke cans back then. But in my little cartoon bubble, I got Pepsi and Coke cans. And you know what he's doing? Bing! 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 And he's really getting good at it. He's doing boy stuff. And he's knocking those Pepsi and Coke cans off with a slingshot comes in handy later on. Key concept here. David is a warrior shepherd in training. So I want to go back to Sergeant Benavides at this point. If you remember, the helicopter had just crashed. Not looking good. He's severely wounded. And like David, when he fought Goliath, Sergeant Benavides didn't know his day was going to go like this. And although in extremely critical condition due to his multiple wounds, Sergeant Benavides secured the classified documents, made his way back to the wreckage, where he aided the wounded out of the overturned um, aircraft and gathered the stunned survivors into a defensive perimeter. Under increasing enemy automatic weapons and grenade fire, he moved around the perimeter, distributing water and ammunition to his weary men and reinstilling in them the will to live and fight. They'd lost heart. Here's this warrior instilling heart. What's David doing? He's instilling heart in people. Facing a buildup of enemy opposition with a beleaguered team, Sergeant Benavides musters his strength and been calling in tactical airstrikes and direct fire from supporting gunships to suppress the enemy and to prevent another extraction attempt. This is number three. He was wounded again in the thigh by small arms fire while administering first aid to a wounded team member just before another extraction helicopter was able to land. His indomitable spirit kept him going as he began to ferry his comrades to the craft. On his second trip with the wounded, he was clubbed from behind by an enemy soldier. Now they're not even shooting at him. They're hitting him on the head. In the ensuing hand-to-hand combat, he sustained additional wounds to his head and arms before killing his adversary. He then continued under devastating fire to carry the wounded to the helicopter. Upon reaching the aircraft, he spotted and killed two enemy soldiers who were rushing the aircraft from an angle that prevented the aircraft door gunner from firing upon him. With the little strength remaining, he made one last trip to the perimeter to ensure all classified material had been collected and or destroyed and to bring the remaining wounded. This is an incredible story of bravery. It's hard to believe. Which brings us back to David and how he defeats Goliath. This, too, is an unbelievable story. Yet we know it happened because God chose to include it in his word. It's a movie script no one would buy. How does a kid kill a seasoned warrior? The warrior has instilled fear into the entire Israeli army. A warrior that is ugly and scary and bigger than everyone else. Look at Sergeant Benavides again. 
The chopper has crashed. He has dead and wounded all over the place. He has suffered multiple wounds. And he's down to fighting off the enemy with his bare hands. Put yourself in that patch of jungle called Loch Ninn. He is facing an enemy that's totally out of control. It is ugly and scary and bigger than everything else in his life. Yet we see the heart of a warrior. And that same heart and spirit exists in David. And might I add, the warrior's heart lives in the believer too. You, the believer, are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that indwells David. And there is no giant so big that it cannot be brought down by the Holy Spirit. So what's Saul's answer here? He wants to load up David with all this stuff. He's got armor and shields and swords and whatever. David's never trained with any of this stuff. They're all untested in his mind. But he knows the slingshot. Look at it this way. He puts his stuff on, he tries to move, and he can't. Because it's too heavy. So he leaves this pile of armor behind and goes to face Goliath with a slingshot and a staff. And he chooses five smooth stones, and he goes as the Lord's anointed. He acts the way a king of Israel should act, not cowering with the army. And stands in the shadow of the Almighty because this is the Lord's battle, not Saul's battle, not David's battle. It's, it's, the, it's the Lord's battle. Goliath is so blind and deluded that he doesn't see that David is standing in the shadow of the Almighty. He doesn't understand the immense peril he is in. And instead, he underestimates the shepherd boy and mocks David, and he mocks God. Verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with a shield bearer in front of him, remember the guy in the shield bearer? He's got all that other stuff. Kept coming closer to David, and he looked at David over. He looks David over, and what does he see? A little, shep a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. This is going to be oh so easy, he thinks. Is this the best they have? Well, as a matter of fact, it is. David is the absolute best Israel has. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. He makes this threat, but it is Goliath who will feed the carrion. He continues to defy the Lord and mock the Lord's anointed, and there is no redemption for this. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. This is what everyone sees. But there is an overwhelming spiritual dimension that they all fail to comprehend except David. And he says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who are gathered here will know that this is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. 
and he will give all of you into our hands. Again, this is the Lord's anointed talking. See it in that context. The warrior shepherd faces down the bully, and it isn't a slingshot or the staff. It is the supernatural miraculous that is about to take place. The slingshot is just the implement that God chose to use to execute judgment. It is the same spirit that indwells the warrior shepherd that indwells every believer. Oh yes, the world is scary, ugly, and evil place. The devil wants you to quake in your boots. Problems seem to overwhelm and devour people, but the believer is chosen, set apart, holy and precious unto the Lord. He died to set us free from sin. He is not mocked. He is not defied. And that's what's playing out here in the Valley of Elah. And then in the blink of an eye, it's over. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Kind of like those lions and bears. So David triumphed over the Philistine, and with a sling and stone, and without a sword in his hand, he struck the Philistine down and killed him. And then David stood over him and took the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath, and he killed him and cut off his head. Remember, I gave you two rules of fighting don't get hit and hit the other guy. David does both of those. And that is really, really hard to do. And now something extraordinary happens. The victory that could have been Saul's, had he waited on the Lord, becomes David's victory. And as the Philistines lose heart over the death of Goliath, verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran And the strategic impasse is broken. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron, two of the five cities. And the dead were strewn along the Sharing road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered the camp. This is victory. This is the Lord's victory. So one last paragraph from Sergeant Benavides' day. Only when extremely serious condition from numerous wounds and loss of blood, voluntarily his comrades who were in a crucial straits to expose himself to constantly to withering fire and his refusal to be stopped despite numerous severe wounds saved the lives of at least eight men. His fearless personal leadership, tenacious devotion to duty, and extremely valorous actions in the face of the overwhelming odds were in keeping with the highest traditions of military service and respect utmost credit on him and the United States Army. Valor and gallantry. What I have read to you as part of this sermon is the Medal of Honor citation for Sergeant Benavides. And that was awarded to him on February 24th, 1981 by President Ronald Reagan. So why did Diane choose to include a Medal of Honor citation? There's so many similarities between these two stories. They didn't expect the day to go the way it went. When trouble comes in our lives, it is unexpected and unwanted. They faced the challenge head on. This wasn't something they could plan for, And the same spirit that indwells the believer, we can have confidence that we can face evil head on. Most of us, without help, 
You'll never find the Valley of Elah or Loch Ninn on a map. Yet, extraordinary events occurred there. These aren't just names in a book and dots on a map. Both David and Sergeant Benavides exhibited the heart of a warrior. I can state with certainty that the heart of the warrior indwells every believer. Warriors come in all shapes and sizes, and battlefields can occur anywhere. Know the, know the God who saved you and believe in his providence. There is fierceness and dependence intertwined here. And the best way I can describe this is from Twyla Paris's song, The Warrior is a Believer, and the chorus. Listen closely. They don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and look up for a smile because deep inside the armor, deep inside the armor, deep inside the armor, the warrior is a child. Tango Mike Mike refers to bravery exhibited by Sergeant Benavides, a radio operator. Didn't think he was going to end up there that day. And David found the army of the living God cowering. But it was the shepherd boy that saved the day. Inconsequential on the surface and warriors underneath. They both ran towards the threat. The Medal of Honor is the highest award issued to our military. Flag officers, generals, and admirals salute Medal of Honor holders, regardless of the rank disparity. How do you think they treated David after he cut off Goliath's head? President Reagan said if Sergeant Benavides' story were a movie script, nobody would believe it. Yet it happened. Just like, as we close here, the heart of this story. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me if he is able to fight and kill me. We will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me the man let us fight together. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We see the warrior shepherd in action. We see his heart and his spirit. We know he is the Lord's anointed. We know that the Holy Spirit indwells him. We know the same Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Final thought. If you remember nothing else from this message, remember this. And the same spirit indwells you that indwells David. Don't let anyone take that away from you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. 
For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.